Good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. How many of you are happy to be in the house of God this morning? Welcome to uh, Levi and Shiloh. Levi and Shiloh, can you raise your hand? Uh, they're, they're coming to our church for a while, and then we're sent out as missionaries. They're in Japan right now, so if you uh, feel called to Japan or have any burdens for Japan, you can talk to them after service. Um, they've been doing a great work there for the past several years before COVID, right? Five years. Wow. Five years. That's a long time. Uh, welcome to Grace Bible Church. Those of you that are here for the first time, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Bible, and we are in the series uh, of Song of Solomon. It's one of the more obscure books that in all of my life, I can't remember a sermon being preached on uh, Song of Solomon, but I didn't pay attention to every sermon, so I, I don't know. But um, the Song of Solomon we covered last week, we kind of did an intro to the book, uh, an overview, and it's not just about uh, a man's love for a woman and a woman's love for a man. It's not just a romantic story, but it's really uh, a type and a metaphor of Christ and the church. And there's not just one man, there's two men. One is the king and the other is a shepherd. And so we went through uh, some of that last week and kind of went into the background of Solomon and, and uh, the Sh Shunammite uh, in scripture. There was a, a woman... Abishag, Abishag, and she was uh, the one that Solomon could have been in love with. And he wrote this story, describes this woman as a Shulamite, and if you look through scripture, there's no such thing as a Shulamite. Uh, it's the only time Shulamite is ever mentioned, and it could be that he put this label as a representation to kind of allude to uh, Abishag, which was... A, which was the woman who was a Shunammite. Anyway, um, all that to say we're going to jump into uh, this story of the Song of Solomon really as a story of transformation, of how God transforms our life through his love. How many of you have experienced transformation in your life because of the love of Christ? Raise your hand if you've experienced that transformation. Look around the room. That's a, that, that's a great testament to the power of the love of God. In all of our lives, we have a desire to be transformed. That's why we're attracted to anything that, uh, that displays transformation. I remember when I was uh, much younger, I can't, I think I was probably in my mid-20s or something, I was getting really big and, not big, but I, I couldn't do the things that I was doing before, and I saw this guy, Tony Horton. How many of you guys know Tony, Tony Horton with P90X? Are you guys old enough to remember P90X? I'm revealing my age here. Um, P90X, and, and I saw all the pictures of transformation, and I thought, I'm going to you know, give myself for 90 days, and I'm going to work out every day. And, and I worked out, and my, everything transformed. I was like a rock. I was super strong, ripped. I had like abs for like... 15 days, and then it all disappeared. <laughs> but all of us long for transformation in our lives, um, not just in our physical physique, but in our finances, in our spiritual walk, in our character. And one of the things that God has created us for is to be transformed into his image. Um, so the story of the Song of Solomon is the transformation of a Sh Shunammite. And one of, one of the um, 
one of the most popular movies of all time is Cinderella. How many of you know the story of Cinderella? There's another story, Pretty Woman. How many of you know the story of Pretty Woman? Raise your hand if you know Pretty Woman, because this will show your age. Um, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, I believe, and uh, she's a, a, a hooker, a prostitute, and he falls in love with her and then marries her, and the whole story is how the love of a man transforms the woman and uh, transforms her from a, a prostitute to his lovely bride. And there's something in the heart of humanity that longs for that, that when, when there's, because we all identify with, with that prostitute in some way, that there's shame, there's things that, that we wish that we didn't do, that there's hidden things that we don't want anyone to know about. And when we see that there's this story of this man who's this businessman, he has everything in the world, but he falls in love with this woman who doesn't deserve his love. And then through the course of that romance, she transforms and he says, I know everything about you, but I love you anyway. And it transforms her into a beautiful bride. That's the, call, the cry of humanity's heart, to be reunited with their maker. And the whole story of Song of Solomon is the transformation of this woman because of the love of Christ. And that's our story, as the bride of Christ being transformed into his image. Amen? So I want to go through a couple of key verses in uh, the first two chapters of Song of Solomon. And let's start by reading the theme scripture of the Song of Solomon. This is at the top of your notes. Uh, Song of Songs 8, verse 1. Uh, let's read this together. The count of three. One, two, three. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Let's pray. Can you stretch out your hands to me? I think it really helped last week when you guys prayed for me. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we ask that you would speak from your word to our hearts this morning. God, we pray for uh, myself as I deliver the word this morning, that you would uh, speak what you want to speak, that you would transform our hearts and lives, transform our church, our lives, uh, each one of us. Lord, through your love, change us, Lord, into the image of your son. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Um, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. You know, in the transformation stories, you see the before and after pictures. If you would, this verse is a description of the before. So let's, let's read this together. And she is talking, and she says, I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. And then she says this, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me and they made me keepers of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I have not kept. There's a lot that's in here, but if you look into the different things of what we want to be transformed as, do not gaze at me because I am dark. And she's, she's telling uh, that her beloved, don't look too, like you can glance at me, but don't set your gaze at me. Don't look at me too deeply. Don't analyze my life because if you look at me, you're going to find the junk that's inside. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever felt like that? Like, I, I like being around people, but I don't want to get too close to people because if I do, 
they're going to see who I really am. And if they saw who I really was, the things that I really struggle with, the things that are deep inside, they wouldn't want me. They wouldn't love me. So I just kind of stay apart. You can look at me, but don't gaze deeply into me. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you sometimes can identify with that? And that's where she was in the beginning. She, she said, I'm very, you know, I'm playing tennis and I'm getting darker. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I'm getting darker. My wife notices and she's like, John, you're getting darker. You're getting all these black spots on your face. And she's like, buying me soap that I'm supposed to like stick on my face and making me put sunscreen on, but I like dark. Dark is beautiful. <laughs> um, it says, my mother's sons are angry at me. So, so there's not just this character stuff that's in her life that she's insecure about, but relationally, her brothers were upset at her. her there was things going on in the family relationally that, that she wasn't proud of. She said, my brothers, they're mad at me, and, and there's speculation that she was invited into the, uh, the harem of Solomon, and any woman who was a part of Solomon's harem was forgiven of all taxes, and their families didn't have to pay tax either. Now, how many of you, if, you know, you're, I don't know, uh, that's a bad illustration, but, <laughs> but if you didn't have to pay tax for the rest of your life, would you let your daughter marry I don't know. No, probably not. But in this story, the brothers were mad because she didn't want to be a part. She didn't want to take a part of this opportunity. And so there was relation, relational tension as well. Not only relational tension, they made me a keeper of the vineyard. Status-wise, she wasn't on top. Status-wise, she was below. Her brothers were her bosses, and she had to work hard labor in the vineyard. So in every area, in her character, in her relationship, her financial status, and then finally, it says, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Her own, her own uh, assets, her own uh, competency, she was lacking because she was taking care of everything else. She didn't have time to take care of herself and develop and grow her own competency and take care of her own vineyard. How many of you ever feel like that, that sometimes... You're so busy and so obligated taking care of other people's needs and the expectations of people around you that your own vineyard you haven't kept. How many of you can identify with that? And this is where the Shunammite woman was. She was like, this is where I, I am. And, and if you go all the way to the end, that's the before picture. Now the after picture is in chapter 8, the last chapter of the Song of Solomon. And then she says... This, she says, she goes through the love, the love that she has for her beloved. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as a grave. Its flames are a flame of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. So she's saying, the love that I have for my beloved, it took me through a lot of trials, but it shaped who I am. And what did it shape her into? It says, if a man would give all love, all the wealth of his house, he would, he would be utterly despised. The whole book of the Song of Solomon is two men vying for her heart. One is the King Solomon offering, him, offering her all the wealth of the world, all the dreams that she could imagine, uh, a room in the palace. 
and he's offering her, if you give me your love, if you give me your heart, I will give you anything that you want that has to do with this world. And then on the side, there's the shepherd. And the shepherd is also talking to her and wooing her. And she has a decision to make. Am I going to give my heart to this king who can offer me anything I want? Or am I going to give my heart to this shepherd? And at the end, she says, I have fallen in love with the shepherd. And there's nothing, if a, if a, if a man, and she's talking about Solomon, were to offer me all the wealth in his house, she said, he would be utterly despised. So what she's saying is not just that his stuff is despised, like I despise him for even hinting that he could buy my love with all of his stuff. Isn't that satisfying when you watch a movie? Like how many of you have watched Ocean's Eleven? Anybody watch Ocean's Eleven? At the end of the movie of Ocean's Eleven, I think it's Julia Roberts again. I guess she gets all these roles. But she has a choice between the, the owner of the casino or that criminal dude. And at the end, she sticks it in the face of the casino lord, and she goes with the criminal. <laughs> but when a, when a woman has the opportunity to give her heart to someone, and she says, no way, and she picks to be faithful to someone else. There's something deeply moving about that. And, and this is what she says at the very end. She says, if a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And then, she, and then it says, Solomon, so she, now she's talking about Solomon himself. She says, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman, and he leased the vineyard to his keepers. Everyone was to bring its fruit for its fruit, a thousand silver coins. So a thousand silver coins back then, that was a lot of money because you could purchase a slave for 30 pieces of silver. So this is a thousand pieces of silver. That's a lot of money back then. And that was the tax for someone who owned a vineyard. And then she says, to Solomon, my own vineyard is before me. And before she said, my own vineyard, I, I, ha I, I haven't kept. But at the end of Song of Solomon, she says, my own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who tend its fruits, two hundred. She has been transformed from this insecure, incompetent woman to this independent, competent woman who is not under the authority of her brothers anymore, but is now in charge of this vineyard that is fruitful enough and productive enough that she can look at Solomon and say, I don't need anything from you. In fact, I can give you a thousand pieces of silver, which is what you really want. You don't want me. You just want to collect me and put me in your harem, but I don't need that anymore. In fact, I'll give you your thousand pieces of silver, and everybody who's working for me, they can have 200 too. And then she declares her love for her beloved shepherd. It's an amazing transformation. And the thing that transformed her from the before picture and the after was the love of the shepherd. Isn't that amazing? We try to transform our lives by giving ourselves to many different things, but the thing that will transform us more than anything else is the love of the shepherd. How many of you believe that? She was transformed in her relationships, in her character, in her authority, in her competence. I remember... I remember when I went into college, 
I hated piano. I couldn't stand piano because my mom was a piano teacher and she would force me to play piano and I would play piano and she would make me play piano until I cried. And I said, I will never touch the piano ever. I hate this instrument. My sister hated the instrument as well. And you know what my sister would do? She was smarter than me because my mom, she would spy on us and she would, she would put an intercom right on top of the piano and then she would go into the house because it was in the garage, the piano. She'd put the intercom and she says, I want you practicing for a whole hour straight. And then she would go in the house and do her stuff and then the intercom, the, the sound of the piano would play. And if it ever stopped, then she would come in and say, hey, go play your piano. And I hated that. I hated the stupid intercom. And, and you know what my sister would do? She figured out how to outsmart my mom. I don't know if you know this, but, but she got a tape recorder and she, she taped the first 10 minutes of her practice and then just pressed play and put it next to the intercom and then did whatever she wanted. Did you know she did that? Oh, you did? Anyway, I, I, I hated piano. And, and then when I went into college, and I actually began having a relationship with Jesus, and I listened to worship music. I would listen to worship music, you know, through the CD, and I would feel, I, I, would, I would hear a certain, you know, uh, verse or uh, the bridge or the chorus, and I would be like, I want to hear that again, and I would have to, like, rewind it, and then, like, rewind it, and, like, play it over and over, and I'd be like, this sucks, because it keeps, like, it, it doesn't, there's no flow, and so I, I thought, I would just like learn how, I just play the piano with it. And then that's how I learned how to play the piano. I would go to the dorm, uh, to the top of the towers, and they would have pianos on every tower. And I would just like play worship music, and I would play the chorus over and over again because that's the, what I wanted to repeat. And that's the way I learned how to play piano. And, and I got asked to start playing for church, and then this band was there, and they asked me to join their band, and we started playing in all of the clubs around Waikiki, and I, I started realizing that there is an anointing that falls on you when you're doing, using your skills to serve the Lord. And his love and that anointing and his a relationship with him doesn't just impact our spiritual destiny, but it impacts every single area of our lives and transforms us into who God has called us to be. There's, it's, it's not just about it's not just about our skill, you know, like he took this woman from not being able to handle her own vineyard to having a vineyard that would produce thousands of pieces of silver. But in our lives, the same principle goes for, I, I, I know people who were struggling in business and struggling in addictions and struggling in different areas of their lives. And then when they had a relationship with Christ and understood his love, it transformed everything to where they became very successful and they excelled in the different things that uh, were in their lives. So um, how many of you have experienced that and know what I'm talking about? It's the love of Christ that transforms us. Um, I want to call up Mike. And we talked about Mike and what he did with the, the, the um, is he here? Can you guys give a hand for, for Mike? He's, but it's been an amazing um, journey. He's in, in my small group and uh, he helps lead the small group, and, um, you know, his story is that when, and I, I'm not going to share his story, but uh, his story is that when he came to church, 
he was looking around the premise and he was like, man, this place is falling apart. Somebody needs to get fired. This place is disgusting. And he, so he took me out to coffee to tell me, your church is falling apart. What's wrong with you guys? And then I said, you want to help? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and, then, and then he said God spoke to him. And then he began using the gifts that God had placed in his life to transform our church. And so the renovation of our preschool and now the playground behind it is, is all because he was willing to take the gifts that he had to serve the Lord. And, and it has affected his life. So um, give a hand for Mike. Thank you. Oh, thank you, John. Yeah, that was a lot what I was going to cover. It was very interesting. Um, you know, I thought I had a really strong walk with the Lord, uh, you know, prior to, to 2020. Um, but at that time, I, you know, was, I found myself unemployed. And so I was unemployed and all the norms were broken. And what was I going to do? And then, again, attending church. And then what John just mentioned, you know, coming to church, I'm like, wow, this place is shameful. I'm like, oh, I, was, you know, I just, I was like, but then, and I kept saying that, it was several weeks, and then, you know, I just felt the Holy Spirit kept saying, well, you go trim the bushes. And I was just like, what? And I was like, I just can't be, you go fix it. You know, it's on, you laid it on your heart, you know, and I just, I'm kind of like, what, me, really? No, I'm going to tell John, and John could tell someone to fix it. <laughs> it just kept, you know, and I'm like, okay, I give, I'm, okay, I give in. And that's kind of, that's kind of how it, how it started. And so while I was trying to focus on all my issues and problems in my life and how am I going to pay the bills and I don't have a job, and then the Lord's calling me to serve and it starts with trimming the bushes, you know, and I think that, and on that led to trimming the bushes, to cutting the palm trees down, to renovating the bathrooms, to renovating the building, to renovating the playground, to renovating the parking lot lights. And so I don't think there's any part of the church I haven't touched now, you know, and there's more to do. We're going to get the AC fixed. But, um, you know, and through all of that, uh, I just, I found that, you know, I just, um, it's just been amazing that knowing that the promises of God are so true, that when you do give of your time, your talent, your riches, whatever it may be, but when you do that and you have the servant's heart, you know, there's such a blessing in that. You know, there's a, it's an opportunity to bless someone with what you have, but then you see those blessings come back into your life. And um, my prayer life improved tremendously, and it just, it, there was so many different things happening in our lives, and during that time, and major decisions we had to make, and seeing mountains move through prayer, opportunities come up, um, you know, and again, just, and, just, and just relying on, depending on the Lord, His provision, and His word, and His promises. And we had op just opportunities we would have never expected possible, you know. Um, because of that. So while I, I was serving, and that was a blessing to other, others, at the same time, I was being blessed tremendously in my life and in my family. Um, and, and even through that, then there were so many, you know, so many opportunities for ministry as well. Because at my prior job in the marketplace, I was able to meet with people more on a corporate level in that, in that setting. But in this setting, I was dealing with multiple contractors and, and a lot of different people um, for these different projects, and that opened up an opportunity for me then to minister to them and to pray for them, which was which was amazing opportunity. I acronym I slapped a lot of people. <laughs> so slapping, 
slapping is starting a conversation, then listening, and then ask, uh, asking and then praying for a person. And he's done that numerous times through uh, the opportunities that he's had in, could you share a couple of those, or uh, one of those of? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been a bunch. Um, but there was one recently with this with the playground project. I went to a, a const- uh, I don't want to use somebody's name, but I mean, so I went to a business that sells construction materials, and I was I was there and purchasing some some items for our project. And I and as I'm paying the bill, the uh, I just kept hearing the Holy Spirit just kept saying, "I want you to pray for this person." And this is a rather large local man, and he, I'm just kind of like, this guy could just punch me in the face. And I, I'm like, and I just kept hearing, okay, you, you know, and then I, the Holy Spirit just kept saying, kidneys. I kept hearing kidneys, kidneys, diabetes, kidneys. And I'm like, okay, 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 all right, all right. I pay my bill, and I, go, and he's like, okay, they'll meet you outside to load you up. I'll go outside, and the guy comes out to load up the truck, and again, I just keep hearing, go pray for him. And I've really been working hard at this, that anytime I feel that, I just say, let's just see what happens. So instead of saying, no, I won't do it, or, or being fearful or doubtful, my thing is really just, let's just see what happens. Put the expectations on God, because, you know, he's the miracle worker. And so I'm sitting there, and, he's, and then I'm hearing myself, let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. The guy comes out, loads up my truck, and I, I'm asking him, you know, who is this gentleman that helped me? And he gave me his name, and I, I looked at him and said, I'm going to go pray for him. The guy loading my truck goes, you should. I'm like, okay. So I go back inside. Now, mind you, this place is full of guys, construction workers, you know, this full. And I, I walk back up to the counter, and I ask him, you know, are you, are you busy? And he looks at me, and I said, are you on the phone or taking any orders? No. I said, may I, may I pray for you? And he just looked at me. He's like, what? I said, may I pray for you? <coughs> <laughs> and so he goes, okay. And so I said, may I, may I put my hand on your shoulder? Uh, which is, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I'm really pushing now for a stretch. I'm like, may, you know, kind of, may I touch you? And so, <laughs> and he said, okay. So I put my hand on his shoulder. And as I did that, the guy who loaded my truck came back around through the doors, came over and put his hand on his other shoulder. I'm like, wow, okay. So I got a little confidence from that, and then I was just praying, and I was, the Holy Spirit was just talking to me and leading me, and I was praying. I was praying for his kidneys and diabetes and, and to heal his heart, and it was going through this prayer, and of course, the room is like everybody stopped because my voice, my voice carries, so you know, everybody can hear. I'm not like praying quietly. The whole room stops, and uh, I, I finished praying, and this gentleman is broken. He's broken. He, this guy, this guy is just bawling. It was just, it just shook, just, just touched me. And so, and he's, you know, kind of like, how, you know, how did you know? And I'm like, how did I know what? And he's like, well, my kidneys are, are failing. And he showed me the sores and stuff on his arms from his diabetes. And so, and I said, I don't know anything. The Holy Spirit knows everything, you know, and the Lord wants to, to touch you and do a work in your life, and, you know, with that, then I, then I left, and so, um, <clears throat> and, and I, yeah, and so that was just a powerful moment, and so, and one of the things that I'm working on, for me personally, you know, at this point, um, 
because I have a lot of those encounters, a ton of them. But for me personally, I'm, I'm, you know, God's not done with me yet. You know, the thing that's really been on my heart personally is to, is to follow that up. Follow that up with, you know, inviting them to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's my, that's my next goal, is to, to take it from that point to the next step for their salvation. But it's, anyhow, it's, just, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing serving. Could, how many of you have ever felt like uh, uh, prompting from the Holy Spirit to pray for somebody that's like around you or in your area? How many of you have ever felt that? How many of you have chickened out? <laughs> um, Mike, would you mind praying for us, praying for the church that boldness would fall on us and that we would be obedient to those promptings? Absolutely. Oh, dear Lord, we just uh, we come before you, Lord, with uh, surrendered, with open hearts, Father. I would just pray that, that you would give every single person in this room your heart for those around them, no matter where it may be, at the cash register, the restaurant, whatever it may be, Father. That, and Lord, I would, I, would, I would ask, Lord, that you would give them the confidence to know that they are hearing from you, because I believe a lot of people hear from you, and they, they, they want to deny it or just think it's their own thoughts. So I pray, Lord God, that you would give them the confidence to know that, yes, this, this is me. I'm touching you. I'm asking you to, to pray for this person or whatever it may be. Uh, give them your heart, Lord, Father God. And, and then I pray, Father God, for the boldness, that you would just fill them with the boldness. And let them just adopt that statement, Lord. Let's just see what happens instead of, the, you know, instead of just ducking out and going out the other way. Let's just see what happens. The expectations are on you, Lord. Let us be servants. So I just, I just pray, Lord, that you would, you would give us that boldness. Increase our faith, Father God, and just, and just allow us to see affirmations and confirmations, Father God, that you are moving and that you are alive. And help us, Father God, that, that um, we could take it to the next step as well and invite them to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, all the glory is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. We get to know God, and that love of God changes our hearts when we're obedient to him, and that brings us to the second point. How does this relationship grow? Um, so this woman, she says, she says, tell me, you who my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it make them lie down at noon, for why should I be like one who veils herself besides the flocks of your uh, companions. And the shepherd said, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, this is amazing, the, the beloved's response to her. He touches straight upon her insecurity. She says, don't look at me because I'm dark. And when he talks to her, he doesn't say, yeah, I see all the junk. I see how dark you, you came from being in the sun. He, he says, you're not dark in my eyes. He says, he tells her, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, Follow in the tracks of the flocks and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. This is, this is the way that we grow closer to the Lord. The way that we grow closer to the Lord is we follow in the footsteps of his flock. That we shepherd the ones that he has placed within our lives. That, those spheres of influence that we have, he says, shepherd your goats among the, the shepherd's tent. And so every single one of us have goats. Every single one of us have people in our lives that God has given us influence in. 
And as we use our influence to lead these people and show the love of God to these people, we draw closer to Christ. When we use our gifts and, and we follow the flock, we grow closer to Christ. There's a wrong perception that a lot of us have that romance and love is between two people. It is between two people, but what true love is, is it's found in community. You know, like one of the, 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 the I've, I've heard this said before, that love is not two people staring at each other, but true love is two people holding hands, walking in the same direction. Notice that Jesus, when she said, my beloved, where are you? He didn't drop what he was doing and run over to her. He said, follow in the footsteps. of." There was a mission that Jesus had, and he invited her along his mission. Because love isn't two people staring at each other. Love is two people walking in the same direction. It says, a three-folded cord is not easily broken. When two people are following the Lord, they will always be stronger than if the Lord wasn't in their life. Because as we go along in our paths of life, if the foundation of our relationship is finance, finance will change. If the foundation is success or career, those things can change. But if there's a man and woman and they are getting closer and closer to the Lord, they get closer and closer to each other. And so, so when Jesus invites us into a relationship with him, he doesn't leave his stuff. He says, come join me. He, he went to the fishermen and said, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. It's an invitation. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, is what Jesus said. That when we follow him and we do the things that he does, we get closer to him and learn, learn of him. And so in this story, if anyone has any doubt that the shepherd is Jesus, out of the seven things that Jesus says, I am, in John, in the, the book of John, John 10, and this is in your notes, Jesus says, I am the, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I, I know my own and my own know me. And then at the end, uh, when Jesus resurrects from the dead and he sees Peter, he, he says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, I love you. If it was a Hollywood movie at that time, they would get together and go off into the sunset. But he says, you love me? What do you want me to do? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. So our relationship with Christ gets stronger and stronger, and we know him more and more, and he transforms our lives more and more when we are on his mission with, with the sheep. Um, does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, um, I was going to go into, like, how I never wanted to really be a pastor. I, I didn't really want to, but I just wanted to serve God. I just wanted to help other people know God. And the more that I got involved in talking to people about God and doing Bible studies and 
getting into the word because I love Jesus and wanting to get to know Jesus more. It was like, oh, John, can you help, um, you know, lead the college age ministry? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Oh, John, can you help lead worship? Oh, yeah, I guess so. John, can you come back to Maui to help our church? Oh, yeah, I guess so, if Josh wants to. Ask Josh, Josh, are you willing? Yeah, sure. So we come to Maui. Oh, John, can you help lead the youth group? Oh, yeah, I guess so. John, can you be an associate pastor? Yeah, I guess so. John, can you stop teaching? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> John, can you be a senior pastor? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, and it's not that I love, I love, I love pastoring and I love what I do, but the reason why I'm a pastor, like, I don't do what I do because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because of what I, what I did, what I love to do. Does that make sense? And, and, and what I want to communicate is that's the call that God has in all of our lives. Like, it's not just the pastor that leads the flock. It's not just the pastor that, that helps other people in their relationship with the Lord. It's all of us. Because God wants all of us to be close to him. And the way that we get close to him is we follow in the footsteps of his flock. Does that make sense? It transforms our lives when we are part of his mission. Um, Last thing is the battle for the attention of the heart. This is so cool. This is really a cool insight to the Song of Solomon. So if you're reading through this, one of the things that makes Song of Solomon so obscure is you don't know who the heck is talking. And then there's like all these labels, you know, that, that say, oh, it's the Shulamite that's talking. It's, it's the king, it's, you know, you got to throw all those things out and just kind of read it because those labels didn't come with the text. Anyway, so she says, um, uh, she says all those things, and then he, she says, where do you feed your flock? And he says, if you don't, if you don't know, O fairest of women, verse 8, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside. I've, and, then, and then verse 9, it's like this interjection, this interruption from the voice of the shepherd and then there's this other voice, and it says, I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. Does that fit in what the shepherd just said? Would the shepherd ever say, I compare you to the chariots of Pharaoh? No, there is a change that happened. There's a different voice that's speaking. And this is the voice of Solomon. This is the voice of the king. And it's totally different from the voice of the shepherd. The voice of the shepherd says, follow me. Follow me and come to know who I am. It's an invitation of spending time. But this voice, it says, I compare you. This is at the bottom of your notes. The battle for attention of the heart. I compare you, my love, to a mare, a donkey. How many of you women would want to be compared to a donkey? I compare you, my love, to a donkey among Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's chariots. How romantic is that? And I've read so many commentaries that say this was the way that love was expressed back then. So dumb. And then, and then it says, your cheeks are lovely, but he doesn't stop there. Your cheeks are lovely, but they're lovely with ornaments. So your cheeks aren't lovely. You need some, you need some like, stuff on it. 
to make it look better. Your neck with strings of jewelry. Where am I? And then there's others that say, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. So remember last week we were talking about what God told kings not to do? Don't get chariots from where? Egypt. And he's comparing her to Pharaoh's chariots. He says, don't multiply wives, don't multiply silver and gold. And what is he comparing her to here? He says, you need some silver and gold. Is this the shepherd's voice? No way. This is not the shepherd's voice. This is the voice of a king who could care less about her, who's saying, like, you're as beautiful, you're so beautiful, but you need some silver. You need some gold. And then there's, there's his harem that's around him, and they're like, we're going to make you gold earrings to wear. We're going to make you silver studlets to put and make you more beautiful than you are. And that is the voice of the world. The voice of the world is like, you would be so much more beautiful if you had this, or if you had that, if you had that college degree, if you had that nicer house, if you had this, these initials by your name, or if you had this possession. The world's voice is, you are not beautiful yet, but we can make you beautiful. How many of you have heard that voice? That is the predominant voice on social media. When you go on your social media feed, it's like your life would be so much better if. Am I not right? And you listen to that voice over and over again, and you begin to believe it, that I need this. I need that to be more complete. I need this to be more beautiful. I need this to, to be worth more. And that's not the voice of the shepherd. There's a competing voice for your attention. And the, the voice of the shepherd, <laughs> the voice of the shepherd, so the voice of the, the, the king, uh, the voice of the king says, um, I've compared you to all these things, uh, and then go down, and then, um, so she completely ignores him. And then she looks to her beloved and says, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair, you have dove eyes. And, uh, and then the, the beloved says, or the Shulamite says to her beloved, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant, our bed is green. Uh, the beams of our houses are cedar, our rafters are fir. Oh, I'm, I'm super over, sorry. Um, like the lily among thorns. Okay, so, so this, is, this is so cool. I've never saw this before, but Jesus says, I am the rose of Sharon, and I am the lily of the valleys. He describes himself as the lily of the valleys. And then he looks at her, and he says, like a lily among thorns, so is my beloved among the daughters. He compares her to a lily. What's the significance in that? She compares, so there's two voices now com competing for the affection of the woman. Jesus comes on the scene a thousand years later. He says, I am the good shepherd. And then he says this in Matthew 6, 28, 29. He says, and why do you worry about your clothing? It's worry that pushes us into the arms of the king. 
it's worry that we're not enough, that we're not going to have enough, that, that we need more that pushes us into the arms of the king. And Jesus says, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And then he says this. He says, yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautiful as they are. Is that powerful? That Jesus comes on the scene a thousand years later, revealing himself as the shepherd, saying the exact same language. He's saying, you are beautiful, that you don't need to worry, that even the lilies of the valley, they, Solomon in all of his splendor is not clothed as beautiful and as perfect as them. You do not, and, and the message is this, that you do not need anything to be more than what you already are. The voice of the shepherd is constantly speaking to us that you are enough, that you are made in the image of God, that there is nothing that you can do to make yourself more acceptable, more valuable, more competent than who he has created you to be. And we have a choice every single day of what voice we're going to listen to because it's the voice that we listen to and we pay attention to more that we're going to believe. And what God is doing in this last day and age is in an age where our attention is being taken by the phone, our social media feed, and it's harder and harder and harder to give our attention to our beloved. He is asking us to listen to his voice so that he can transform our hearts and that we can become that bride of Christ. Amen. Is this good? It's such good stuff. Yeah, you can clap for the word. We're going to close in prayer. Um, we'll just close in prayer. Why don't we all stand? Um, oh, I hate to close with this announcement, but I need to tell you this. Um, next week, uh, the Westboro Baptist, how many of you know who the Westboro Baptists are? Uh, they're this, this group that pickets and does, you know, really crazy, dumb stuff. They're going to be picketing at our church. So uh, they're going to be out here uh, before church starts. And what I need from all of you is just to ignore them. Just don't give them any attention. Their whole strategy is to uh, make controversy and provoke uh, reaction from people. And so the best thing that you can do is just walk past and completely ignore. Um, I talked to the police. The police are the ones that called. They're going to be at King's Cathedral, our church, and uh, I think Wailuku Union or something. Um, don't give them donuts. Don't invite them inside. Um, this is private property, so they're not allowed inside the building unless they're invited. So I know that a lot of us love everyone, and we're going to be like, God bless you. You want to come in? And then once you say that, they're invited, and don't do that. 
leave them outside, and then they're going to go, you know, to, to protest somewhere else. So if you have friends and, you know, you're coming back next week, don't engage with them. Um, we have uh, Next Steps class upstairs, small groups that you can jump into. And then next week we have Ohana Sunday. We're going to have pickleball and stuff. So come back, dress comfortably because it might be hot, but it's going to be a super fun time together with the Lord's people. And um, I'm going to beat my dad in pickleball. So. Um, could you all rise? And I want to say a benediction this morning um, over you. How many of you were blessed by that? The word of God. All right, I'm reading from Psalms 37. Um, 1 through 11. And this is a benediction for today. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they will soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from your anger, forsake your wrath. Do not fret, it will only cause you harm. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord they shall inherit the earth for yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek will inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, thank you for calling us into your church for such a time as this, for calling us into the kingdom for such a time as this. God, we know that it's your love and the revelation of your love that transforms us. And Lord, we pray that as we continue to walk in your ways and give ourselves to your word and listen to your voice, God, that you will bring about your will in our lives. You who started a work will continue to complete it in Christ Jesus. So we thank you for all of these things. We give you praise and glory. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great day. God bless you.